Section 20 of The Obscure Night of the Soul by St. John of the Cross. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 2, Chapter 5. Obscure contemplation is not a night only, but pain and torment also for the soul. In an Obscure Night This obscure night is a certain inflowing of God into the soul, which cleanses it of its ignorance and imperfections, habitual, natural, and spiritual. Contemplatives call it infused contemplation, or mystical theology, whereby God secretly teaches the soul and instructs it in the perfection of love, without efforts on its own part beyond loving attention to God, listening to His voice and admitting the light He sends without understanding how this is infused contemplation. It is the loving wisdom of God that produces special effects in the soul, for it prepares, by enlightening it for union with God in love, that loving wisdom which by enlightening purifies the blessed spirits, is that which here purifies and enlightens the soul. But it may be said, why do we call the divine light, which enlightens the soul and purges it of its ignorances, the obscure night? I reply, that the divine wisdom is, for two reasons, not night and darkness only, but pain and torment also to the soul. The first is, the divine wisdom is so high that it transcends the capacity of the soul, and therefore is, in that respect, darkness. The second reason is based on the meanness and impurity of the soul, and in that respect the divine wisdom is painful to it, afflictive and obscure also. To prove the truth of the first reason, we assume a principle of philosophy, namely, the more clear and self-evident divine things are, the more obscure and hidden they are to the soul naturally. Thus the more clear the light, the more does it blind the eyes of the owl, and the stronger the sun's rays, the greater the darkness of our visual organs. For the sun, in its own strength shining, overcomes them by reason of their weakness and deprives them of the power of seeing. So when the divine light of contemplation shines into the soul, not yet perfectly enlightened, it causes spiritual darkness, because it not only surpasses its strength, but because it obscures it and deprives it of its natural perceptions. It is for this reason that St. Dionysus and other mystic theologians call infused contemplation a ray of darkness, that is, for the unenlightened and unpurified soul, because the great supernatural light of contemplation overcomes the forces of the natural intellect and deprives it of its natural way of understanding. David also hath said the same thing. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Not that this is so in reality, but in reference to our weak understanding, which, in light so great, becomes obscure and blind, unable to ascend so high. And in another place the same truth is declared. At the brightness that was before him, the clouds passed between him and our understanding. This is the reason why the illuminating ray of hidden wisdom, when God sends it from himself into the soul not yet transformed, produces obscure darkness in the intellect. 
This obscure contemplation is, in its beginnings, painful also to the soul. For as the infused divine contemplation contains many excellences in the highest degree, and the soul, which is the recipient, because not yet pure, is involved in many miseries, the result is, as two contraries cannot coexist in the same subject, that the soul must suffer and be in pain, being the subject in which the two contraries meet, and resist each other because of the purgation of the soul from its imperfections, which is being affected by contemplation. I shall show this to be the case by the following induction. In the first place, because the light and wisdom of contemplation is most pure and clear, and because the soul, within which it shines, is impure and dark, that soul which is the recipient must greatly suffer. Eyes afflicted by humors suffer pain when the clear light shines upon them, and the pain of the soul, by reasons of its impurity, is immense when the divine light shines upon it. And when the rays of this pure light strike upon the soul, in order to expel its impurities, the soul perceives itself to be so unclean and miserable that it seems as if God had set himself against it, and itself were set against God. So grievous and painful is this feeling, for the soul feels as if God had abandoned it, that it was one of the heaviest afflictions of Job when he was in his trial. Why hast thou set me opposite to thee, and I become burdensome to myself? The soul sees distinctly in this clear and pure light, though obscurely, its own impurity, and acknowledges its own unworthiness before God and all creatures. And what pains it still more is the fear it has that it will never cease to be unworthy, and that all its goodness is gone. This is the fruit of that profound depression under which the mind labors in the knowledge and sense of its own wickedness and misery. For now the divine and obscure light reveals to it all its wretchedness, and it sees clearly that of itself it can never be otherwise. To the same effect are the following words of the psalmist, For iniquities thou hast chastised man, and thou hast made his soul pine away as a spider. In the second place, the pain of the soul has its sources in its natural and spiritual weakness. For when the divine contemplation flows within it with a certain vehemence, in order to strengthen it and subdue it, it is then so pained in its weakness as almost to faint away, particularly at those times when the divine contemplation seizes upon it with a greater degree of vehemence. For sense and spirit, as if bowed down by a heavy and dark burden, suffer and groan in agony so great that death itself would be a relief. This was the experience of Job when he cried, I will not that he contend with me with much strength, nor that he oppress me with the weight of his greatness. The soul bowed down by the burden of oppression feels itself so removed out of God's favor that it thinks, and it is so in truth, that all things which consoled it formerly have utterly failed it, and that no one is left to pity it. Job, in like circumstances, has said, have pity upon me, have pity upon me, at least you, my friends, because the hand of the Lord hath touched me. Wonderful and piteous sight! So great are the weakness and impurity of the soul, that the hand of God, so soft and so gentle, 
is felt to be so heavy and oppressive, though neither pressing nor resting upon it, but merely touching it, and that too in mercy. For he touches the soul not to chastise it, but to lead it to his graces. End of section 20